You're listening to a podcast from Turners Hill Free Church. For more information and resources, visit turnershillfreechurch.org.uk. It's lovely to be here. Lovely to see you all. And um, we're gonna. I'm going to try and do sort of three stages in this sermon. The first is to read a passage, passage and then analyse it. The second stage, I'm going to just grizzle for a while and potentially annoy some people. And then the third stage is going to be a happy conclusion stroke application. Does that sound good? Yeah. It's like a, an inverse sandwich. It's got the bad bit in the middle. Okay. So um, I'm going to read from John 4. And um, I'm going to use the large text NIV that I have here. In fact, it's so large, you probably don't need it up on the screen, but I'm going to, um, yeah, make sure. Are we NIV? Yeah, good. Great, so the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, which always makes me think of motorbikes for some reason. But I looked it up in the Greek, and it um, and it, it's actually pronounced Suchar, okay, in the Greek. And I don't know what it would have been in the original language of the Sumerians, but anyway, Samaritans. So anyway, he came to this place um, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. We really appreciate John putting that in there, because, you know... His readers would have known what, they wouldn't have needed to be told that, but it's useful for us. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I'm going to stop there. So we all know the story quite well, right? I mean, it's quite well rehearsed. But I wanted to try and um, retell the story as what it would be like if I met Jesus at the well, okay? Um, so just to clarify, the well is the place where you get refreshed, okay? It's the place you go to get refreshment. So this is what happens when I meet Jesus at the well. So this just picture this. I've got um, three energetic but wonderful children, I say energetic but wonderful. What I mean is energetic and wonderful. Um, and when I finally get them into bed, the um, I 
maybe sometimes do some tidying up if I haven't done it already or if I can't be bothered. And um, once everything is done, I go slump. Does anyone know that slumpy feeling? Yeah. Okay. You got the. You know the slumpy feeling. Um. And as soon as that happens, this well magically appears in front of me, and Jesus is sitting there, and he says, "Hello. How about a drink?" And I say, "You don't have a bucket." Translation. I'm tired and I just want to be entertained. You cannot give me rest and you cannot bring me joy. Only Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. can. (laughs) That's kind of what the lady was saying to Jesus, was he's offering her water, offering her something wonderful, and she's going, yeah, but you don't have a bucket and the well is deep. Jesus is like, you know, I met this guy called Nicodemus once. He was just like you. (laughs) He really didn't get it, what I was talking about. Um, But, you know, when you're tired and you think, the only thing I need right now is to switch off and be slumpy. Jesus says in reply to me, Marvel will leave you wanting. The water I offer will satisfy you deeply into eternity. And I say, are you greater than Netflix? (laughs) Incredulously. And then the conversation ends as the theme music starts. When you want to be refreshed, where do you go? And when Jesus says, thirsty, what do you say? That's what I was <laughs> So here's my grizzly bit, okay? What kind of twit turns down the gift of God to anaesthetize himself on children's TV? Esau knows what I'm talking about. He turned down his birthright for some soup. But if you think about it, he was actually wiser than I am because he gave up a lifelong gift for something that satisfied him for an afternoon. I give up eternal food for my soul for 45 minutes of childish escapism, which leaves me feeling numb and dissatisfied anyway. I mean, honestly, what kind of twit? You know, the word entertain... It just means enter is like between, like think inter. And then tain comes from a verb that means to have. So it's like to have between. And it originally meant like to maintain or to keep something in order. And then after time, it then became meaning like to offer hospitality. You know, like when people used to say in... Jane Austen things. I'm entertaining guests or something like that. So, and then it's only more recently become taken on the meaning of what does it mean? What does it actually mean? I guess killing time might be one of our definitions for it. So what's happened is that the meaning of entertainment has moved from one of need 
i.e. to maintain something, to keep something in order. Two, something that is about killing time. Literally, wasting life. It's moved from need to desire. And our wealth has enabled us to forget about our needs and focus on our desires. So the poor man, all he has to do is find food for today. I mean, you guys that are tra- I'm looking around at people that have travelled, that I know of, you know that's true. The happiest people you've probably met in this world were not rich. Is that true, my travelling friends? Is it true, happiest people you've met? So, the poor man has to find some food, and then he eats it, and then he's grateful and happy that he's found food. We don't even think about it. We get enough wealth to a hundred times what this other guy gets. And we're still not satisfied. So we take pills and pay a psychologist to work out how to be happy. You're doing well. We're getting through the grizzly bit. Well done. So I asked God what to share with you guys um, a few weeks back. And something hit me straight away. And I shared it with Sarah. And I shared it with the Sunday night prayer crew that were here. And with the elders and eldership candidates. And what's been happening is God's been speaking to me through the sermons that we've um, been having since. And also um, through times of prayer and words people have given and stuff like that. And these things have corroborated it. So this is the main point of my middle section, okay? Inaction or passivity kills spiritual vigour. Inaction or passivity kills spiritual vigour. When God speaks to us on a Sunday and we do nothing about it, we're like the foolish man who builds his house on the sand. You kind of get so far and it crumbles. (laughs) Try again, try again. Week in, week out. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And for some of us, Sunday is the only opportunity that we kindly give to God to work in our lives. But something so powerful happens when we hear the word of God and obey it. We feel simultaneously fed. Jesus says in this chapter, actually, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and complete it. Simultaneously fed and hungry. So here's a question for you. Why do we eat? Someone's going to need to be louder than that. Sustenance, okay, to sustain us, yep. Because you like it. Yep. Resident foodie. Okay, so on a cellular level, got any biologists here? No, Abby's away. Okay, so... You are replacing the cells that you shed in your skin and whatever. You are replacing the cells that you have. So, yes, it literally sustains us. But also, we need calories to be able to do stuff. If you have no calories, you can't do anything. And so, it sustains us and it gives us fuel to be able to squeak. 
So once we have replenished our souls and achieved something for the kingdom, we develop a hunger. Yeah, so God blesses us, he fills us, he um, gives us nutrition, and then we it sustains us, but it also gives us energy to go. Uh, that wasn't a cue to go, by the way. <laughs> Jesus says, you're blessed when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be filled. So we keep praying, Lord, fill us, don't we? Lord, fill us. And that's a great prayer. If you're hungry and if you're thirsty after giving a, a whole week of service to him. But for someone who did nothing with this week or with the last 200 weeks of blessing, would another week of blessing make a difference? Is praying that prayer, Lord, bless me. Is that the right prayer? Let me make it a bit more bold. The prayer of the church in the West is Lord, bless us. And the prayer in the developing world is, Lord, strengthen us to cope. Give us the strength. That's the prayer in Acts 2, isn't it? Lord, stretch out your hand with signs and wonders and do miracles and give us boldness that we may proclaim your gospel. Like, can you see the difference? The Western church is saying, bless us, give us comfort, give us what we want. And the church that is suffering is saying, God, help us cope with this. Give us the strength we need to do your work. So there was something called dualism, right? It was, we sometimes call it Greek thinking, where it says that the flesh is bad, and the spirit is good. Plato thought that the soul was like trapped inside the flesh and as soon as you die then your soul is free and that platonic kind of thought crept into Christianity um, and to an extent it has um, stayed on for a long time so you might have heard people say I can't wait to die so that I can get rid of this flesh and my spirit can be free to play a harp but um, that's not Orthodox Christian teaching. Christians don't believe this. We believe that everything God created was good and that we're going to have a new heaven and new earth and new resurrected bodies. Our bodies and our souls can do good and evil. A good tree bears good fruit and we know people by their fruit. God knows people by every part of who they are, their thoughts and their words and their deeds. We can only tell by their fruit. Christianity is very simply a direction of moving from evil desires towards Christ's desires. From evil actions towards Christ's actions. So does God give us what we don't need? Does he reward bad behaviour or indifference? Does a parent give sweets to a child that's openly rebelling against them? Sadly, sometimes, yes. But does God act like a bad parent? No, he does not. He is a good father. He's more generous than we are, but he's not stupid. God gives us what we need. Jesus says, doesn't he, that 
Do not worry about what you will eat, what you will drink, or what you will wear. The pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He gives us what we need, but he doesn't violate our free will. So, when you have a well-fed soul, the fruit that you bear brings life to those around you. You know Psalm 1 talks about blessed is the man who sits not in the seat of mockers nor stands in the place of sinners or something, something, something. He is like a tree planted by the li- by living water. That is a picture of someone who is connected to his God and the goodness of God through him bears fruit all around us. When you have a poorly fed soul, you, you can't rely on your connection to God to bring good things into your life. So you have to choose substitutes. And the substitutes that I've noticed that I use and I've seen other people use are things like social action. Social action is a great thing, don't get me wrong. But when you lack that connection with God, you want to display your spirituality in another way. And so you choose something like social action to say, I'm spiritual because I help the poor. I'm spiritual because I look after the infirm. Another way you can do it is to become theologically pedantic or cynical, where you go, no, I I don't believe that, and I don't believe that, and that's a wrong theology, that's a heresy. And you can just point at everyone else's mistakes to make you feel better. Does that seem like a good plan? We're really near the end, at the end of the grizzle now, so you're doing really well. Maybe you could focus on one area of doctrine, like worship or baptism or evangelism, just so that you become an expert in that. And so people think of you as super spiritual. Look how amazing, because he knows about transubstantiation. All that effort that it takes to maintain a facade of spirituality, it's a waste of time. You know, that same amount of effort you could put into spending time with God, getting connected to him, and you get the real thing. Why waste effort on a counterfeit when you can have the real thing? Jesus said to the Pharisees in John 5, 39, you diligently study or search the scriptures because you think that by them you have eternal life. (coughs) He says, these are the scriptures that point to me and you will not come to me. That's a challenge for us too, guys, in the West. We think that if we come to church, if we listen to the word, if we smile and then we go away and do our own thing, that we'll be okay. Jesus says, if you don't come to me, you don't get life. If we control our own spirituality by putting up this facade like this, it kind of makes us God of our own life. Whereas when we submit to God, the God, then he 
directs our paths. He uh, enables our growth. It's the control, our, our own control is gone, but God's control is there. Okay, we are through the grizzly bit. Everybody okay? Feel free to shake out if you're feeling a bit grizzlified. It's a word. So how do we apply this stuff? Well, let me start by asking you a few questions. Has the shine gone out of your worship? Has the passion drained from your prayer? Do you find reading the Bible a bit of a chore? Hunger cures this all. If you are not hungry, why not spend this week praying for hunger and see what happens? Because if you don't, if you lack something, James 1 tells us that you should ask God for it and he will give it. The problem is we are a bit too easily pleased. I shouldn't settle for watching children's TV. There are more amazing things for me to partake in. I had this picture, which I wanted to share with you. Imagine you have inherited from some benevolent um, pet grandparent or something like that a stunning vineyard in Provence, okay? You've got um, lavender fields, you've got um, vineyards, you've got um, groves of all sorts of wonderful trees and a nice farmhouse. And so all you've got to do is go and take up that inheritance, Okay? So you make your way to Provence. And let's just say for argument's sake that in this world there's no such thing as Eurotunnel. And um, so you've got you've to walk all the way to Dover, okay? And then you've got to row across the sea and then walk all the way to Provence, okay? Now, what happens is along the way you've got this promise of inheritance that you are moving towards, that's your life, but then on the way, people, this voice is tricking you into squatting in thousands of scuzzy places along the way. I was tempted to name some towns, but I decided not to. <laughs> so you've got this beautiful inheritance, an incredible place that you're destined for, and then you keep getting tricked into squatting in these unused, horrible places in grotty towns. That is lunacy. Christians, run towards your inheritance. Run towards your inheritance. Nope. Thanks, Joe. You did well. Progress is the preserve of the diligent. What's in it for you? Well, for a start, you get that feeling of getting somewhere. Every time you spurn the iPad or the TV or the book, whatever it is that feeds your soul junk food and allows Jesus, if you, if you spurn that and you allow Jesus to fill you with his real food and real drink, you're further along your journey. You're refusing to squat in Dover. If you're not a believer, I have good news for you. 
Jesus wants to hang out with you for eternity and do the kind of cool things and have that amazing sense of blissful peace and joy that everybody has ever wanted and that we can't even imagine. He wants that and he's made a way for you to do it and all you have to do is follow him. That's the good news. That's the gospel. How do we as Christians respond to this? Well, in verse 28 of this chapter, it says that she left her jar and she went and told everyone. Jim Elliot wrote in his diary, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I love that quote. It probably wasn't originally his, but um, it's been attributed to him now. He's no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So the first application is give up things that cause you to to be waylaid. Give up the things that are like squatting in a scuzzy part of town. Give up the entertainment. You know, Paul says, throw off the sin that so easily entangles. Give it up. She left her jar. She went out there to go and get some water. And then she left because she was like, this is more important. Guys, this is more important. A whole life of eternity is worth more than five minutes of feeling good. I was started re- reading Nehemiah in my readings and um, their plan was to defend and rebuild the broken down areas. So maybe this is another application for you guys, for all of us. Where are we weak? Maybe we should make a start there. Get some people around you to pray. Come up at the end of the service, get people to pray for you. But maybe more importantly, put aside aside some time this week. Sacrifice some me time to get some real me time. See what I mean? Sacrifice the stuff that is the slouching on the sofa, collapsing and being fed whatever by Netflix. Sacrifice that time and pray, Lord, what are my weak areas? Come and come and fix me. Get someone to come over to your house and pray with you. Jesus is waiting at the well. Don't turn him away. Drink deeply and then go in his name to share and discover what he's done. So the two things that I have felt since about a month ago are we mustn't be spiritually overweight. We mustn't just keep being fed without going out and doing stuff. We must go. Simon, when he came to preach, he talked about the four books on the shelf. Do you remember that? And the two bookends. And the first book is go. Make disciples. um, Baptize them. And teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Will you go this week? Will you take 
whatever morsel that it, that God has given you, whatever faith he's given you, and use it wisely? Will you be like the, the foolish servant who just stores it away and then comes back to the master saying, I, I knew you were a shrewd man, I, 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 you know, I saved it. Or are you going to be like the servant who was given ten or five, who invests it and does something with it? Jesus meets this tree on his way um, out of Jerusalem, I think, in towards Bethany, and there's no fruit on it, and he curses the tree. Are you going to be a tree that provides fruit for Jesus? Because when he comes, he wants fruit. So we need to hunger, and we need to go. And that going makes us hungry, and that hunger makes us be filled so that we go. It's very, very simple. Why don't you stand? I'm just going to pray.